Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. It's not that you have to find something so unique. You just have to authentically believe it. It has to be real. Can't be bupkis. And then you've got to be consistent. If you are standing for something, you are not vacillating in the wind. This is not changing every week. It's not a program du jour. It is deep. This is DNA level stuff. So once you know it, shout it and get real comfy doing it over and over and over again. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. If you haven't yet listened to my recent conversations with speaker and transformational success coach Rusty Gaylard and with launch copywriter and founder of the Terrain course platform Iman Zabi, then do go listen into them because they're really valuable. But only after you've listened to today's conversation. Now, I'm really excited today to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest, Brian Burkhart. Brian believes in elevating people, and he does that by making waves. He's the founder and chief word guy at Square Planet Presentations and Strategy, a corporate communications company that was recently named to Inc. Magazine's fastest growing companies list. Brian is also the author of the Amazon best-selling book, Stand for Something, the power of building a brand people authentically love. Brian is also host of the Square Stories podcast, a bi-monthly expose of the most fascinating people in business today. In addition to his extensive corporate client base, Brian reserves time for academic work. He's enjoyed six years as an adjunct lecturer at Northwestern University's prestigious Farley Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation. Today, he also coaches to Arizona State University teams competing for investment capital from Schmidt Ventures, run by former Google CEO Eric Schmidt, and he's a member of the Forbes Business Council. A former Disney cast member, as well as the host of The Hot Hamburger, a corporate game show produced by McDonald's famous training entity, Hamburger University, Brian has traveled to over 48 countries and counting. He studied the human condition and he believes deeply in the power of love over hate. In our conversation today, Brian talked to me about why it's important to be really clear about what you stand for, about your core beliefs. We talked about how to discover your core beliefs and use them in your marketing, in your hiring, and in job seeking. And we talked about how core beliefs help you connect deeply with your dream clients. 
Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Brian Burkhart. Hi, I'm your host Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today, all the way from Phoenix, Arizona in the USA, Brian Burkhardt, who's the founder and chief word guy at Square Planet Presentations and Strategy and also he's the author of the book Stand for Something. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Brian. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Jürgen, the pleasure is mine. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your guests. We're going to have some fun today. Great. And and I should have mentioned that you're also um, host of the Square Stories podcast. So we might touch on that later as well. Now, Steve Brown, Steve Brown, who was our guest on episode 363 of the Innova Buzz podcast, suggested that we have a conversation with you and he introduced us. So big hello to Steve. You know, Steve and I, it's interesting. We have never met. This is one of those COVID oh, wow. where uh, we're friends. We text jokes to each other. We have all kinds of, you know, typical sort of relationship things with the notable exception of we have never met physical face-to-face human-to-human. It's crazy. That's, that's one of the side benefits, I guess, of, of the lockdowns that we've endured through COVID that um, we've actually been able to meet people across the world through Zoom now. No doubt about it. Yeah. Now, in, in the book Stand for Something, you invite us to break free from the herd and, and reconnect with our core beliefs that actually make us stand out. So I'm really keen to explore that some more. And uh, you say what drives you is making waves. Now, what, when did you realize that that was your passion and, and why is that important to you? Uh, these are big questions, Jürgen, and I certainly appreciate <laughs> you asking. Uh, really, the thing, it's, it's interesting. Um, our our work around here really at its core is about elevating people. And so the things that we do, the resources we provide, the confidence we can instill, the tools that we can give, the resources we can teach people to use, all of that helps elevate people. And it makes sense if you look at it from the standpoint of um, we help people do their job better. We help them find success. We help them do things like hit quota if they're a salesperson. All of those things ultimately elevate people. How we do that is by making waves. And I live in the dry desert of Arizona. There's not a whole lot of water here. And so when we make waves, they're not of the aquatic variety. Um, and so these, these things, they work really hand in hand. And the idea of breaking from the pack, look at it from this perspective. When we say we're gonna elevate you, we're gonna give you some skills and some tools and some resources. We're gonna do that by making waves. There is a great number of people who are immediately intrigued. That sounds awesome, let's do it. Similarly, there's a group of people who think, oh, no, 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 I do not wanna make waves. I would rather do anything but make waves. No, thank dangerous. Yeah. It does, right. Yeah. And so by knowing deeply what it is you stand for, by knowing your core beliefs and then expressing them in a way that's clear and easy for people to wrap their arms around, you actually find your best fits. You find those that believe the same things. And so it really makes the process and the work easy and fun and rewarding. And so that idea of breaking from the pack, it's very specific. In our case, we use the notion of, uh, of, of how, of making waves to help delineate what we're all about. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, so 
when you meet somebody and they say, what are you all about, Brian? And, and you tell them, hey, we make waves. We elevate people by helping them make waves. Tell us a little bit more about that because I guess the next question is, oh, that sounds fascinating. I'm curious. What, what does that mean? How do you do that? Um, how specifically? So I'm guessing that that's, that's the philosophy behind how Square Planet presentations and strategies helps their clients. So what does that mean? What does that translate into in, in kind of practical terms? Uh, that's a big question, and you're absolutely nailing a huge part of our work. We actually call this process the overlap, the overlap. And the best way I can describe it, and people can make this mental image fairly easily, is I want you to consider a three-circle Venn diagram. Um, and that's essentially one of those kind of models where you've got three circles and they overlap and then there's one little section in the middle where all three are conjoined. They overlap. That work is really what all this is about. It's what we teach. And, in, and specifically, if you think about it for a salesperson, and really in some form, all of us in any kind of commerce are trying to sell, whether it's a product, a service, an offering, we're always selling something. And so what we're trying to do is find the overlap. The three circles represent, first and foremost, me as an individual, the things I stand for. In this case, it's elevating people, doing things to really truly give them an ability to be better, to do more, to sell more, et cetera. The second circle is the organization that I work for. In this case, it's my firm. And so you can actually typically, in that situation as the owner, you can almost make it a two-circle Venn diagram because the mirror, they're often one and the same. And that's certainly the case for both me as a human, as Brian, but certainly as the founder and leader of Square Planet, we have the same values and views of the world. The third circle is the potential client. And when those three circles overlap and the core belief is identical, when it's the same, that's when you win. That's what we're trying to do. And so again, the work that we work on on a very regular basis is helping presenters, salespeople, C-suite leaders, you name it, figure out first and foremost what it is that they stand for, make sure that they work at a place that has similar beliefs that are well codified and easily expressed, and then use those to search for the right client that also believes the same thing. When that overlap occurs, it is just bliss. It's not always easy. That journey to know those beliefs is not simple, but once you have it dialed in, it can change everything. So you asked a very big question, Jurgen, without maybe even realizing it. Yeah. All right. Well, that yeah. That, I mean, that's a great explanation. And one of the things, I mean, uh, having read through the book, stand for something, and it, it's a a great. I, I really encourage the listener to go and read the book because it's it's an easy read. Lots of wonderful stories to illustrate the points. And and the thing that stood out for me. It resonated with me from the point of view of a marketing person who's really keen to be clear about who my client's dream clients are, who my dream clients are, who I'd like to work with, and understanding their beliefs and, and matching that up with my beliefs. But you took it to a, a couple of different levels and you touched on them there so that, for example, if you're an employee in a company, and I can relate back to this when I left my corporate job because I was in that situation where I no longer felt that I was in congruence with the values of the company. So really the beliefs had diverged 
Um, my beliefs probably hadn't changed, but the values in the company had changed from lots of reorganizations. And what you point out in the book is um, to select your workplace based on your uh, match to your core value, your one you know, deepest core value, and we'll get to that in a moment. Um, and also then from uh, the hiring perspective, so from me as a business owner, for example, when I hire that the first thing, I mean, you know, typically people say hire on culture, not on skills. Your philosophy is hire on the core value or core belief. You're saying so many things. I'm, I'm nodding ferociously in, in, in affirmation, and I certainly appreciate you uh, diving into my book in detail. The one thing that it's interesting, and I'll tell you two parts to this. Um, I, I say this with some frequency, and so it's very real, and it's very emotional. There is nothing that makes me feel stronger or better than standing on a stage in front of a group of people explaining this stuff. It is my favorite thing to do. And I can cons consistently, if I could get words to work right there, I consistently have had this happen to me where I'll be on stage and I'll explain this notion of congruence or incongruence about core beliefs. And I will almost always see one, two, three people that out in a sea of hundreds or thousands sometimes, they get very emotional. And I see it happen. Mm. And I know it's going to happen. It happens every time. And it's actually kind of interesting that after my presentation is over and there's typically a reception or a space or a break within the conference where people will come find me and there's a line of people that want to talk, I see those people and I see them patient and quiet and emotional and they all say the same thing to me, which is, I think I need to quit my job. And my answer is, yeah, you do. <laughs> because you just nailed it, Jurgen. What's happened is either they've changed or their employer has changed, but something has morphed and there is now this really deep, unsettling incongruence about what they believe and what the firm believes. Hmm. And there is no workaround. You just have to simply jettison yourself from the situation and move on. So you're spot on. Um, I apologize if that was my notification jumping in. Uh, so I apologize for making noise. But that thing you can't really get away from it. Once you've got that notion of what you stand for, it really changes things to the point of hiring. Um, this is going to sound awful and please forgive me anyone who's listening, but it's a easy to understand example. Um, I am not a huge fan in any way, shape or form of smoking. I don't do it myself. Nothing. No one in my family does. I actually get annoyed when I'm around people, even if I'm at an outside restaurant and someone has stepped away to smoke and that wafts over, it just annoys me. I'm not a fan of smoking. And it's illegal to actually here in the States um, count someone out for those kind of habits. But if I smell on a candidate as they come into my office, smoke, they might be the most qualified person for the job, but I'll discount them immediately. We do not believe the same thing. The notion of proactively putting a harmful known chemical into your body like cigarette smoke just doesn't make sense to me. Now, of course, I'll gladly have a cocktail with you. So I'm being a little uh, hypocritical. I get that. But it's just one of those. That's a core belief thing for me. And I won't shake it. And it matters in the hiring process very deeply. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, it's um, a really interesting approach, I think, to 
explore the hiring process from the point of view of core beliefs. And I certainly, I mean, the way I do it is look at values primarily and behaviors, uh, past behaviors that give me an idea of what values the person has. And that in some ways goes to beliefs, but I think taking your approach of understanding the core belief a lot more is is probably going even a level deeper. Well, it really is. And I'll give you an example of a, a gentleman that used to work for me. His name was Mark. Really, really, really good human being. Um, he was actually my client first. Then we became friends. Uh, I mean, we were always friends, but deeper friends. And then eventually he came to work for me. And after a while, it became pretty clear that it just wasn't going well. I mean, we're three, four, five months in, and he certainly knew what we did and how we did it. But I found myself going, Mark, you are not making waves enough. He had worked for General Electric and some other very large uh, multinational brands. And the way the work was done there was by the book. It was very close to the vest. All of a sudden, he comes to work for me where we very outwardly portray ourselves as guys that are going to upset the apple cart. We're going to do it with a unique lens, a different way. We're going to break free from the pack. And he was just unable to do that. That idea of what he believed, what he thought should be, was different than what I thought. And no matter how close we were and how much I respected and loved him as a human being, wouldn't work. And so I had to make a decision. And it was an easy one. It was not a difficult decision to make. One that he understood. And it just became clear that he wasn't going to work for us any longer. We're still friends. And so it's possible that when you get things at that core belief level, you can get past what feels like hurt or judgment. I didn't say you're a bad human being. I said, mm. you believe something different and it just isn't a good fit. And so we were able to move, move on and still be friends. Yeah. And, and what, I, what comes out of that story for me as well is the idea that just because your deepest core values are different, you can still be friends with that person. You can still accept them for who they are without having to have the core values aligned. But working together and and pursuing a vision within the company, that, that's a little bit different. Absolutely. And you actually we're we're gonna we're gonna get into a difficult spot, but it's worth having just a moment of conversation around. Um, certainly in the United States over the last, let's call it four and a half, five, almost six years. And we have certainly seen it global where politics has become challenging. Hmm. Poles, if you will. We are yep. pulled into yep. polar opposite camps. And at, at many levels and ways, you can look at those different sides of the equation as having a different set of core beliefs. And often the conversations are difficult and full of vitriol and pain and angst and those two camps cannot see eye to eye. But as you get more personal, as you find an individual, whether it's a family member, a friend, whoever it is, that has that different set of beliefs, it's possible to have respectful, even calm conversations filled with wild disagreements. But you can still be respectful. Hmm. And the reason I think that is, is because we have other core beliefs at work. 
a good example in my mind is the woman who works for me, who's worked for me for a long time, who does all of our financials. Her name's Joanne. We see, politically speaking, the world very differently. We have never once yelled, screamed, come to blows, never, because our love, respect, and additional set of core beliefs also exist. And so it is truly one of those things where it's easy to just say, ah, you've got it different than me. You're done. Eh, doesn't always have to be. There's a lot mm. to that. There's a lot of layers, it's like an onion, a lot of layers. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's, and, and I wanted to explore the idea of the one core belief with you because you talk in the book from a business perspective or a company perspective of getting to the one core belief that's at the, at the center of what you're doing, what you believe, what you value, and what your contribution to the world can be. And yet, at the same time, as you've just pointed out, it's a lot more complex than that because we're not one-dimensional human beings. And, and when you throw a bunch of human beings together in an organization like a, a business, a company, then, of course, that it becomes another, another layer or dimension, if you like. But coming back to within an organization, um, that one core belief, uh, why only one? Why do you sort of focus on coming back to one? To, I guess it's a starting point. And, and how do you go about that? How, do, how does an organization kind of understand what is the one core belief that, that we really should be basing the foundation of our whole business values on? Another great question. You should consider doing this for a living, Jurgen. <laughs> Sincerely, that's a great question. Uh, it's actually the opposite of what you said. It's not... Uh, landing on, or I'm, I'm sorry, you said starting with one. It's actually the other way around. You end on one. The way that this mm -hmm. typically works is that you'll have a variety. We call them sub-beliefs. And it's all part of the development at a really almost DNA level of what you want your firm to be. It's a choice. You can aspire to any number of things and you can develop what that culture and, and sense of vision and purpose is. And as you start scribing all of those beliefs, eventually a theme will emerge. And I'll just use my firm Square Planet as an example. We have a number of sub-beliefs that all relate back to our final singular core belief. Examples are like, we've got a, a sub-belief that's, and I'm gonna use the language that we use. Hmm. It, things like make huge mistakes, not little ones. Uh, I believe uh, it's true. Think about it from a client yeah. relations perspective. Uh, if I make a humongous mistake, you're probably going to be pretty forgiving. But if I spell Jurgen wrong, you're going to be like, Brian, can you at least get my name right, please? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So that, that yeah. horribly big ones. We're very forgiving in those moments. Uh, things like we have this idea. We say love them when they're down. And that's our way of saying when people are either looking for a job or out of a job. I'm very consistent. I always say things like, you are welcome to come sit in our office. There's always a workstation for you. All the free Wi-Fi and coffee you can handle, you are welcome to work here. If you just want some community of people, mi casa, su casa. And so that kind of notion, those two things, and, and we have more, but just think about the idea of really finding grace for people when they make mistakes and then trying to make their life better when they're in a position of struggle all of those things, ultimately, there's a theme there that you go, yeah, that's about elevating people. And of course, mm -hmm. there's more core beliefs. The reason you finally land on one is because, frankly, you just need to get to something 
that you can communicate to the outside world that's both effective and fast. We just frankly don't have time to go through the long laundry list of beliefs. And so the, the firms that are really good, the people that really spend the time to dial it in and make it concise, but yet compelling, those are the ones who get it and who ultimately thrive. And so for us, landing on elevating people, it was a journey. And for a long time, even in my book, I talk about making waves. Really, I realized after it was published, published in 2019, that I had that wrong. That's how we do it. It's not why we do it. Mm. So it, it really is one of those things that even though it's the work I do, it's a journey to get it right. It is not easy. Yeah. And it's not set in concrete either, right? So it, it may it may even change again. It may there may be some other things that come up that exactly. with without changing the, the values themselves or you know, elevating people is is um, what the core belief is now, but it might become something you do later on and something else might replace it as the core belief. That's exactly right. How it gets expressed is likely to morph over time as things change mm. you know, and nothing sits still, right? I mean, that's just the nature of life. But that at its core, the notion of elevating people has always been about, uh, it's always been part of who I am as a human being, always. As far back as I can remember, it's just been a part of my world. And it's definitely one of those things that that won't change because that belief is so deeply um, baked into the equation. But how we do it, what it looks like to the outside world, it will absolutely change over time. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, so I've got a double-headed question for you now, and that's, uh, you know, you, the book's titled Stand for Something. So why is it important to stand for something and why is it important to... Uh, shout that out to the world. I think they're, they're the, that's the term you use in the book. It is. Uh, it's important to shout it out to the world if you so desire to make it important. Let me make that very clear. Hmm. Uh, we, we can live as human beings quite nicely without lots of people shouting what they believe. But we live in a very highly consumer-centric world. We have access to all the information and all of the stuff on the planet. It's at our fingertips. And to sort of make your own way in that melange of stuff, you need to do something. There are plenty of people who do the work that I do and what every other person does. I mean, there is just no one monopoly anymore. It just doesn't work that way. And so to stand out, to be recognized, to find people that wanna buy your products and services, you need to do something. And in my opinion, the best way to do that is to tell the world what you stand for, the things you believe. We wanna work with people that have similar beliefs. It just feels better. We go and do and hang with people and places and things that are of our similar set of values. I mean, it's gonna sound strange, I know, but it's things like if you decide that you are a Christian, you're not gonna go to Jewish services on a regular basis. They don't believe the same thing. And so you don't do that. And business and commerce is exactly the same. Your beliefs dictate your actions. So standing for something really is the catalyst for all of the marketing and advertising and discovery work that we do. We just don't always know it. Um, there's a lot of examples of this. I mean, only a million. And as you indicated, my, when I wrote my book, I wanted to, to just have case uh, study after case study. I wanted it to be chock full of examples. And so I did that. But it really is one of those kind of things where once you know you almost have a responsibility to scream it. 
if you don't know, well, then you kind of don't have a chance to. And so, you know, that discovery is a whole different headache. But once you know, you got to scream it loudly. Hmm. Did I answer yeah, I your question, Jurgen? You did. You did. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, I guess there's a couple of things there that struck me as really important. And it's, um, first of all, kind of being really clear about what your core beliefs are, but then having uh, and standing out, because that's what makes you different to the next person. Uh, the second thing to me, and I was just going to point that out again, was that the responsibility of getting that message out there and getting um, your core beliefs out there so that you attract the people that like to work with you because they share your core beliefs. And more importantly than that, the people that you actually have the skills to help. So not only do you share core beliefs, but you've got the skills to help them. It's going to be a seamless uh, work experience because of the shared beliefs. And, and so you have a responsibility to share that gift of what you can do to help them with them. That's exactly right. I, I have a, a very interesting story. It happened not two hours ago to me earlier today. I was speaking with a friend of mine. It's a guy named Walker, uh, who's a really, really smart, really capable, good human on so many different levels. But he has uh, the mouth of a drunken sailor on shore leave. He, he can't go six words without swearing. And it actually becomes quite charming when you, it, it just, it's such a natural part of who he is. It just is. Well, he's wise enough to realize that that can be offensive to some people. And so he bakes it into the contract, the actual physical contract that he sends to new clients says, and he knows exactly where it is. And we were talking about this literally two hours ago where he had a guy who really took some umbrage with the notion of not only it being in the contract, but his swearing. And Walker said to him, then we shouldn't work together because this yeah. is who I am. This is my authentic self. And this is what I'm all about. It's part of what I stand for. And if you stand for something else, that's fine. I'm not telling you that I'm right and you're wrong. I'm just telling you this is mine and you're allowed to have yours. And so let's just part friends now before we get into something that just isn't going to work because our core beliefs are incongruent. And so it can be something as uh, simple and perhaps benign as swearing. It can be far more complex, far deeper. I mean, my notion of things like um, elevating people, I take that really seriously. I really push the notion of love over hate, and I won't let people off the hook if they say something that's misogynist or racist or whatever it is, I have to say something. Uh, and so it can be much headier than swear words. But the idea is the same. It permeates all things. Hmm. Yeah, there's, and, you know, it, it, it really takes this idea. I mean, we, we work a lot with um, our clients to right at the core of the marketing to understand who's your dream client, who do you want to work with? And there's always this pushback of, well, you know, I'm, am I not foregoing lots of opportunities there if I exclude the people that aren't in this uh, dream client um, box, if you like, and and so I taking the, exactly yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's usually my response too. I say, hey, yes, but uh, yes, that you should be foregoing those opportunities because it means you've got more space for the opportunities of the dream clients coming in. So 
the the idea of of including core values in that and beliefs um i think really adds adds power to that so that's something i'm going to steal <laughs> i'll believe i want in the book <laughs> please steal away it is my pleasure yeah. to do that i mean that's a one of the things we always laugh about this around here our job is to hide in the deep dark shadows when we elevate people it's not because we're doing anything i mean we're doing a lot but we hide when we do it we push from behind we don't pull from above and so I want you to steal. That makes me, that's actually a compliment as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Great. All right. Um, one of the things that occurred to me reading through the book and, and you know, have this philosophy of staying true to the core beliefs right through. And, you, you know, you've given quite a few examples there of, um, you know, somebody staying true to their core belief because they, their personality is they swear a lot. And uh, they're kind of, that's part of how they, how they behave. Um, the the idea of staying true to core beliefs but you know and you you have this making waves uh philosophy um innovation so innovation and disrupting your core business model as a means for um evolving and moving forward and and adapting to change or be, maybe even driving change how do you um reconcile those two things you know staying true to those core beliefs and making waves to the extent that hey i want to disrupt my core business model because i think that's a way that we can drive change in the industry i don't think they're at all at odds or divergent in any way shape or form um the legendary musician john mellencamp he had a, a very popular song called peaceful peaceful world it's a great song and he had a lyric in there that said, if you're not part of the future, then get out of the way. <laughs> and so I think that what he was basically saying is have an open mind. Hmm. And for me, when it comes to things like innovation and even pivoting your business, something I very much understand from a, a personal nature, a humongous pivot happening at our firm, very much COVID related, millions of dollars lost in 2020. We have to pivot. And so I have no choice to make innovation uh, a part of the deal. I've got to look towards the future. At no point, however, is it okay for me to suddenly not elevate people. Hmm. And so when we pivot, when we find a new way to ad additionally work with clients and create additional revenue streams and find additional commerce opportunities, that's all great and good. But those core beliefs must remain. And so you can be certainly innovative and creative and rethink everything, but your base, your foundation must remain the same. If it doesn't, then you're going to be in trouble. You're going to find that the clients that you used to work with and those connections, those relationships, they will suffer. And all of a sudden they'll go, what has happened to you? And when you make a pivot, there's a high likelihood that those previous relationships and connections will be the thing that helps get you to the success you need in the next venture, you're going to go to your well of resources first, the people you know first. Mm. And if they sense or see a whole new you or entity firm and your beliefs have changed, it's not going to feel right. They'll be very incongruent and you'll lose them. So as far as I'm concerned, innovation and core beliefs, they need not be divergent. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh... It reminds me of the baby and bathwater metaphor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
The um, one of the things that I think I think it's worth sharing this story. So the um, I thought this was a beautiful story, and I wasn't familiar with this advertisement, the um, backseat real estate example from Subaru. So share that with us because I think that highlights why um, not only having the core value, but articulating it in all of your messaging is so important, and and the difference between how you know, people perceive that message. It's a lovely story, a great example. And I encourage people to use the technologies like YouTube to go see it because I won't even do it justice. But in 2014, Subaru was launching a, an, an all new version of their very uh, important flagship product, the Subaru Forester. They may have a different name in a variety of countries, but at least in the States, it's called the Forester. And it's a four door smallish mid-size family SUV and there are a lot of different car manufacturers who have very similarly priced, similarly equipped, similarly looking. Uh, I mean, these there are a dime a dozen. Everyone makes a four-door mid-size SUV. And when it was time to launch this vehicle, Subaru did something incredibly interesting and important. They did not tell us all of a sudden about the wheel to weight ratio. They didn't tell us about pounds of torque. They didn't tell us about RPMs and zero to whatever speed and how many seconds. They didn't even talk about colors or fit and finish. What they talked about was the back seat. They said that the Subaru Forester was designed from the back seat forward. And their whole point was that in the back seat, is where you carry your most precious cargo. It's where you bring your baby home from the hospital. It's where your dog sits when you go on a road trip. It's where your mother-in-law sits when you pick her up from the airport. These are the most precious components in our world. They are the things that we love the most. And what they were gonna do was engineer this car to make sure that that back seat was the most safe, the most comfortable, the most perfect place to put your most precious cargo. And if you believe in that, if you believe in making sure that your baby is safe and your dog is safe and your mother-in-law is comfortable, then consider buying the Forester. If those things matter to you, then come find out what colors it comes in, what the different choices of colors are. I think I just said that, what it costs, et cetera. And so mm. they led with the notion of their core belief that the most valuable real estate on the planet was the back seat. It was really, really beautifully crafted um, from the way it was written and even uh, the, the way it was shot. The cinematography is spectacular. And they have been using the notion of love as their tag or advertising slogan, if you will, for all those years since. And it still gets me. Every time I watch that original Forrester 2014 backseat forward video, it's very emotional. And that's not mm. something you would typically say about a car advertisement. Yeah. But they really, they really nailed it. They did a great job. Yeah, and and as you were telling the story again, and having read it and having seen the ad, I, I thought, well, you know, this this will just wash over me now. But I I actually felt the emotion again, and it it is true that a message like that connects with people in different ways than than you know. I, I'm sort of thinking of another one. I mean, lot, lots of the car advertisements because they spend heaps of money on advertising. They usually do a fabulous job on the photography. They usually have 
wonderful location scenery and it, it's it's worth watching for that alone but often the rest of the message just kind of goes straight over my head because they do talk about um you know the the size of the motor or the the um you know how fast they accelerate from zero to 100 or whatever it might be and i think well you know primarily i want to get from a to b safely and <laughs> that's kind of my core value when it comes to a car so there's a mismatch there but not only that i'm getting hit with data and even the beautiful photography is actually data it's not uh, whilst it kind of is triggers on my emotion in some sense it's it's still data in some ways whereas the story or the connecting to that value of you know we we value that back seat is so powerful it's exactly right i i'm actually in the market for a new car <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm a few months away, and I know that when I get my next car, it will 100%, this is an absolute lock, I guarantee this, my next car will be an EV, an electric vehicle. Hmm. And I, I feel very, very, very strongly, it's probably no surprise, you can start to determine what my political leanings are here, but I feel very strongly that climate change is real, that burning fossil fuels is a terrible idea, that looking at alternate ways of moving and, and using energy is a wildly important part of our responsibility as human beings on the only planet that we can currently call home. And so for me, I will eliminate every other car on the market that is gas powered, for sure. And so now I have a much smaller subset to investigate. And so now that I know I'm looking at EVs only, now it goes, okay, great. I've, I know what I stand for climate first EVs. Now let me look in things like, okay, price. Maybe there's some that are too high. For example, there's a beautiful Porsche, but it's beyond my target price. Okay. It's out. There are some that are too cheap. There's a, I think it's a Hyundai that is kind of just this little box, not interested, not safe enough. And so you start zeroing in on your decision, your action by using your core beliefs first to eliminate things. And then eventually you use information and data to finalize your decision. And so when you were talking just a moment ago about some of your clients who are afraid of alienating or losing some potential clients, yes, exactly. That's yeah. exactly what you want to do. Mm. Yeah, you just got to be really clear. And this is something that I think is um, is so important be really clear about your own values core beliefs and and who then is the dream client exactly now, what one of the things and and i'd love to explore this a little bit with you one of the things you talk about as a tool to help discover your personal core beliefs is this idea of discovering your archetypes so talk to us a little bit more about archetypes uh, how does that work and and where does that where's the background of that this is actually just straight up fun and so for <laughs> I, I have a hunch that your audience will probably know what an archetype is but if yeah. you don't it's worth a quick little google search it's essentially a great um way of painting with a broad brush essentially uh my archetype not real surprising is in many ways i'm a maverick uh, in other ways i'm a jester there are 60 some different archetypes that are ways of describing our individual sort of style and set of beliefs and way of being within the world. And um, there are a number of resources out there and some show 12 archetypes, some show 60 plus. And so it just depends on 
what resource material you use, but it's really, really informative because it kind of provides a mirror. You can read all the different archetypes and suddenly go, oh, that's me, or that is so not me. And in many ways, when I say me, I mean both individuals, but even organizations. Organizations have an archetype too. More often than not, uh, most entities and individuals are a blend. Like I said, a jester and a, and a maverick. Um, there's more. I'm also a bit of a scientist. I mean, there's a variety of parts that make up who we are, but it really helps to have a resource like an archetype book or a website to help give words and even visuals to what are often innate feelings. This stuff is so personal. It's so hard to recognize who we are. The world knows, certainly the, those near and around you know, but individually, it's tough to look in the mirror and know. And so using resources like archetypes can just help provide some context and some ideas to help narrow your search. This is difficult stuff. It's a tough journey to figure out what you're all about, what you stand for, what your core beliefs are. And so anything that can help hack that process hmm. is time and money well spent. And archetypes are a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And what um, I think what um, many of these archetype tools do is they kind of present a list of typical behaviors and typical beliefs for a given archetype. And if, if you sit down, like one of the things you suggest in the book is sit down with a, a blank piece of paper and start to write down the things that you do, your typical behaviors and so on. And I find myself, if I do that or when I do that, that you kind of put down maybe 10 things and then, then all of a sudden you run out of ideas. Um, the archetypes thing has kind of this extensive list of stuff and you can go through that list and say, yes, that's me. I do do that. Uh, it's not something you would have thought of with the blank piece of paper. Or, you know, you might say, no, that's not me. So, you know, nine out of the 10 things listed for that archetype, no, I'd say no to. So therefore that, that probably isn't a fit for me. And, and so then you have this label and, you know, it comes back to, there's a bunch of them. I think I, last time I did this, I probably came out professor and magician and scientist and there were a few like that um, and and it kind of gives you something to start to mold around well, well how does that fit into what you do as a person as a business you know and then bring in hobbies and passions and so on so I, I really like the uh, metaphor idea and it comes back to um, the I, well I guess it, it's related to the hero's journey uh, metaphor from you know, Joseph Campbell's work, right? And we're all on our own hero's journey. We're all Luke Skywalker. You're getting yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, this is fabulous. I'm just um, cognizant of the time here, so I think it's a good point to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. And we'll, um, I, I probably know some of, or I think I know what you're going to answer some of these, but we'll we'll run through it anyway and see. I think we should have you do you be me. I will conduct the interview. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, we could do that. We could do that. It'd be kind of yeah. fun. Yeah. Why don't we do that? I, I mean, if you're game, I'm game. You could be I'm, me. I'll be you. All right, I'm game. <laughs> no, I. I, no, I'm I 
All right. I feel like I would do you a disservice. I, I cannot, okay. <laughs> in, good, in good steed, I cannot claim to add the doctor to my title. So you have to be you, Jurgen. All right. Well, we'll, we'll do that. So, so there are five questions. Uh, they're um, intended to give our listeners something to take away, inspire them to do something awesome as a result. So um, I'll just run through them and we'll see how we go. You got it. I will, a sidebar, I must tell you, as I was preparing to spend our time together, I found myself being ever so envious to the point of going, huh, if I steal these and do this <laughs> fast buzz round in my podcast, will Jurgen be offended? And so I love this. This is a really yeah. cool structure. Really great idea. Uh, absolutely. Go for it. <laughs> All right, cool. Steal away, as you said earlier. All right. So what, what's the number one thing you think anyone needs to do to be more innovative? I think as much as anything is not resist it. I'm of the belief that evolution, even revolution, is just part of the equation. It will always be. It always has been. And so if we get real cozy with the idea that things will change, hmm. that makes innovation that much easier. To me, it's those that continually look backwards, dig their heels in, and become rigid those are the ones who get left behind. So I just say embrace it first and foremost. Embrace, yeah, embrace change. Yeah, I love it. Um, I, I I have a funny way now. I, I've adopted a little bit of comedian in my archetype. Uh, people, you know, often I come across people that say, oh, we don't like change. We really don't like change. You know, you're asking them to do something different. Oh, no, we don't like change. And so I ask things like, well, do you breathe faster when you're walking quick? Or when you're exercising, that's your body changing. <laughs> do you, um, yeah? Do you, does your heart rate slow down when you go to sleep at night? Yeah, that's your body changing. Do you get hungry? That's your body changing. And uh, I say change, change is happening all the time. You can't. It's a fact of life. So embrace it. Ever present, and it's truly one of those things. I ask people to consider those in their world, and we can all identify people in our world who are fairly stoic in nature, that are not quick to change. Those people are frustrating. Hmm. They really do, they're like barnacles on the side of the boat, slowing <laughs> down progress. And I think that if you consider that, you would probably scrape them off, right? And so hmm. it's, it's really okay to recognize that change is inevitable, be part of the solution. It's much yeah. easier. Love it. All right, now what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Uh, this one I feel very strongly about. I did this very recently when we were knee deep in a pivot here at Square Planet. I came into my office on a Saturday and we've got, I don't know, five or six whiteboards around here, including one really, really big one uh, in our conference room. And I erased it, blank slate, and I wrote down at the top, what do I want? And that's not something that I have done on a regular basis. And I certainly didn't mean stuff, it wasn't about money or stature. It's what do I want in my work, in my life? What do I want my pace to be? What do I want the work to be? What do I, what's the client profile that I want to work with? What do I want? And taking the time to actually thoroughly answer that question has been wildly fun, uh, exhilarating on a variety of levels, but it certainly made me really uh, focused and now clear on what it is that we're going to do. Before it was about, what could we sell? What might make a dent in our niche? This is a different way of thinking altogether. And I highly recommend mm. asking a very profound question. And that is, what do you want? Yeah, yeah, I love it. And it reminded me of, of um, 
a sequence of questions you talk about in your book that um, stuck in my mind straight away because it's uh, one of the questions is one that I use all the time and it goes back to my very first corporate job example where I um, landed a job in the photography um, in a photography company as as a research scientist and as a keen hobby photographer from ever since I can remember I thought wow this is fantastic but then all of a sudden of course the digital disruption came along and, and things got weird. Uh, the uh, What I talk about a lot there is that um, the, the demise of the traditional film companies came about because they believed they manufactured film for photographers. And uh, I know the three if, questions you're going to ask. You're going to yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, you know, the question on my mind in, in those days already, but certainly in reflecting back on it, the, the one question was, well, what business are we really in? Um, and, and, you know, the answer for me looking back in those times was, you know, capturing memories, helping people capture memories. And so all of a sudden manufacturing film just became one of, of a number of possible ways to do that. Um, and the other questions that you have there are what business are we really in? What business should we be in? And oh, what was the third one? What, what? what it's what business are we in? What yeah. business are we really in? And what oh, yeah, that's it. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what's interesting to your story is people don't recognize this with a lot of frequency, but Kodak is the company that developed. They mm. made the first digital work. Yeah. And they sat on it. They actually licensed the technology. They made a few billion dollars for about a decade. And then well, their patent expired. And the next thing yeah. you know, they got thundered by all these other digital technologies. They owned it. And yet yeah. they didn't recognize what they really did well, or what they should be doing. Yeah. Even more startling than that, and I only discovered this recently, um, even more startling than that, um, uh, Land, Edwin Land, the guy who founded Polaroid, in the 1950s, he was a consultant to the US military. And one of the things that they developed during the Cuban Missile Crisis was satellite surveillance of you know, other countries as a defense tool. And, because, and the satellite surveillance in, in the very early days was film. Well, how do we get this film back to Earth so that you know, we can have a look at the photos? And they actually made digital black and white photography. He was the consultant that actually came up with the idea for the U.S. military in the 1960s. It was essentially and, the first fax machine, for real. Yeah. It was the same and, kind of technology that fax yeah, machines were built on. That's right. And and Polaroid, you know, Polaroid rejected the digital photography and went out of business as a result. It's it's and weird. It's crazy. It really mm. is. We, that question of what business should should we be in, I, it's a big one, and it's hard. It's hard to read the tea leaves, but more than anything, it's hard to to act. You might come mm. up with an answer, but it's really easy to do nothing. Mm. Really, it's hard to do anything that actually answers that question and gets you set up for success down the line. I encourage people to give it a shot because it's mm. not easy. Yep, yep. So... Ask what do I want and what business am I in? What business am I really in? And what business should I be in or could I be in? Which opens exactly up opportunities. Right. Yep.
All right. Now, do you have a favorite resource you use most often? I do. And I know this might sound a little bit trivial, but I believe that mentorship exists in a variety of ways. And for me, the one that is the most profound is books. Hmm. No, no surprise, as a guy who wrote a book, it was a big deal to me. But I find myself uh, very consistently using books. And mine are always dog-eared and written in, and I have little note cards jammed in the side. And to me, it's a really great utility, a resource, if you will, to get some of the best thinking on the planet. Um, I actually still prefer physical books. Um, I have no problem with those that want to do things like a e-reader, a Kindle of sorts. But for me, I keep Amazon, I feel like, single-handedly in business with the books <laughs> I get. Yeah. Uh, but there are people like Simon Sinek and Jerry Colonna and Adam Grant and Seth Godin. I mean, mm. some of these go-to guys, these are some incredibly wise people. I mean, you go back to even things like uh, Dale Carnegie's How to w w Win Friends and Influence People. Mm. I mean, that is that that's an incredible book. There's a tremendous amount of info there that's just waiting for you. So for yeah, me, yeah. books. And, yeah, and I like the idea of mentorship because, as you said, there's there's old books from people that are no longer physically with us that have something to teach us if we you know, take the time to read them and study them. Exactly. Hmm. I mean, I, this is a, a strange example, perhaps, but there's a book that's been around at this point for decades by Napoleon Hill called hmm. Think and Grow Rich. And I mean, most everyone has a desire to have financial freedom, right? And that book certainly gets into that core notion, but really it's about mindset. Hmm. And if you think about it today, fast forward to 2021, as the world is full of strife and struggle and we're so interconnected and all of these things, don't you think mindset would be an appropriate thing to have some knowledge around? Well, here's a book that's decades old that talks about it. And so it really is an amazing resource as mentorship. And it's just a matter of making a choice to make it part of your life. Hmm. And, and you mentioned um, a preference for physical books. I, I certainly um, am one that, makes a lot of use of digital books. I like to listen to audio books as well. The The point, though, is that, you know, you've, you've got access to books through a whole variety of mediums. So it's actually a lot easier today to access countless number of books than perhaps decades ago where you had to find a local library or a, a bookshop. And, of course, you know, you, you, you might have had limited funds to buy books or limited space to store them in your home. That's exactly right. I still do have a I still do have a big bookshelf over here and I still buy some books. If if it's something that really resonates with me, I'll actually buy a hard copy so that I can start to use highlighter pens and things. That's it. And that's what I was actually gonna say is I, I too have those massive bookshelves everywhere, it seems like both home and office. But the reason I like the physical book is because I really do I highlight like crazy and I will often recall a passage or a learning or something um, more as a theoretical notion. And it'll be, Oh, it's in that book. And I'll go look and I'll scan through and I'll find the highlight sections and then I'll immediately, okay, there it is. As opposed to having to uh, try to reread the whole book or dive into a audio version. If it's in physical form, I know I can retrace my steps easy. Yeah. Well, there is a tool. And I'll plug this one. It's uh, it's called Readwise, 
And in fact, I used it on your book to mark up. And what it does is it um, it then, the things you've marked up is stored in a database and it sends you a data, or you can select how frequent you want the email sent to you. I've got them daily. It'll send me 10 prompts each day of things that I've stored in the past. So it'll just remind me of those quotes from the book. And what I've done with your book, of course, in preparation for this um, this conversation was I brought up the the database that just has yours there. So there's probably about 50, 50 things I've highlighted there so I can refer to them. Um, it's a brilliant little tool and you can actually use it with physical books as well. So if I'm reading a, a book that I have a physical version of, I can take a photo on, on their app and store it there. This is the and coolest the thing I've ever heard. This is the best idea ever. I cannot wait. Readwise. <laughs> I, will, I will be checking this yeah. out today. Readwise, I love yeah. that. Thank you, Jurgen. Yeah, it's great. Love it. Yeah. All right. Uh, now, what's the best way to keep a client on track? I think this is a tough one, and I'm certainly not uh, the best expert. I have, I've been known to get a little off kilter, but I think it's to pre-frame, create boundaries going in. Um, it's one of those kind of things where as long as it's agreed upon, you know, and it makes the conversation when things go outside the boundaries a heck of a lot easier. Uh, this is going to sound utterly ridiculous, especially in light of our struggles, Jurgen. But I, I put it in mm -hmm. our client intake form, uh, things along the lines of, I will wait four minutes for you on Zoom or phone. If I don't see you in four minutes, I'm going to bounce. Um, and so it's truly one of those kind of things where people know that we all know our time is valuable and we're all too busy. And so if you agree with what I agree early on that you're going to get a four minute piece of grace, great. We get to the five minute mark, we're going to have to reschedule. And so just keeping things like really well-defined boundaries early and open and at the forefront of the journey, it really helps as you get deeper into the project in my mind. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think clarity up front is is such a big part of this. Um, it's and in some ways that kind of sets the tracks and and makes it easier to stay on track. No doubt. Mm. And I've got only a thousand examples of doing a terrible job of that. Uh, you know, one of the things that we all, we talk about something, and I'm sure you know this well. Uh, in any creative endeavor, we call we call something uh, that I'm sure you've experienced. Call it the slump that clients get really excited about working with us. And so there's this jumping off point. It's a very high point. And then as we dive into the project, we do just that. We dive and we go low and they feel low too. They feel like, are you guys not getting this? It's confusing. You keep asking for things. It's not, we're not getting a lot back. And so there is a trough, a slump, when clients will start to question if they've made the right decision. At that point, we typically say things like, no, we saw this coming and it's much like an airplane. If you pull back on the stick, it'll eventually rise and take flight. We went so far as to create this narrative, both visually and written in uh, these cool envelopes that had words on it that said things like, do not open until instructed. And so at the start of a creative offering, we would send this to people and we, we would say things like, we're going to send you something and I'm respectfully going to ask that you not open it. Okay. They're a little intrigued. And then once we get into the project, when we hit that trough, we'd say, okay, go ahead, open that envelope now. 
and they'd read it and they would feel relieved. Like, oh my goodness, you've seen this coming? Yeah, we saw this coming. And we're going to take flight. All will be well. Just hang on. And so even having that kind of notion about how it works, in my mind, that's similar to this notion of pre-framing, but it really just helps to keep those boundaries established, know where we're headed and have an open discussion about it. Hmm. Yeah, I love that idea. It's brilliant. It's cute. Hmm. The, the, the right, now, is the key. Yeah. It's the kind with the little screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah have a, a sort of like a little treasure. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. All right, and um, I think I might know the answer to this one. But what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Oh, you know this one for sure. It's you. <laughs> you should definitely know what you stand for. Yeah. Um, I think the the thing that's I, I will make this distinction though. It is really, really conceivable that you may stand for something similar or exactly the same as a competitor. Use things like the automobile business that we talked about earlier or financial service uh, companies. You're selling things that are similar. It's in many ways a commodity. I mean, how different is a four-door sedan from company to company to company? And so if you sell similar products or services, it's conceivable that you stand for similar things. One thing that people seem to get wrong when, when they hear me or speak to me is they think they need to have something totally unique. Mm. Well, I promise you, I am not the only guy nor business that believes in the idea of elevating people. I promise you that. There are plenty who do. It's not that you have to find something so unique. You just have to authentically believe it. It has to be real. It can't be bupkis. And then you've got to be consistent. If you are standing for something, you are not vacillating in the wind. This is not changing every week. It's not a program du jour. It is deep. This is DNA level stuff. So once you know it, shout it and get real comfy doing it over and over and over again. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's an important point too, that you don't need to try to be different just for the sake of being different or have some outlandish belief simply because it's outlandish. It's got to be something that's core to your values and and then you know the the share that with the world uh, we have this um, metaphor that we use in our marketing program called a lighthouse so the lighthouse you know is consistent in shining the light out into the world and and assisting people out at sea to always find their way safely to shore so it's it's kind of our metaphor for this concept of What's the light you're shining out? And it's always got to be consistent. Well said. I, I'm a big fan of the beacon, the notion of that, mm. of the lighthouse, that metaphor. It's very strong. Mm. All right. Well, this has been fabulous, Brian. Um, I uh, want to give people the opportunity to find out more about you. So where can people learn more about you? Um, get a hold of your book find the Square Stories podcast and maybe even get in touch to say thanks for what you've shared today. Well, I certainly appreciate the chance uh, to be on your show and, and give people an outlet. The easiest way is to go to our main website, which is squareplanet.com. Uh, I like to just have people think round earth mm -hmm. <laughs> and you'll immediately come to squareplanet.com. Um, if you want to shoot me an email, the easiest way is just info at squareplanet.com. That will eventually hit my inbox. Uh, and so that's by far the most simple way. Uh, you can certainly see I'm very active on LinkedIn and we do a lot of things on you know the typical platforms. I'm not great at social media. I will admit it is a skill I'm working on. 
but certainly check out Square Planet and you will find our podcast, a link to my book, a bunch of resources, a lot about me. Um, I also encourage people to YouTube me. There are a lot of videos out there of me doing my thing. And so if you, if you just put uh, Square Planet or even Brian Burkhart in YouTube, lots of stuff will pop up. Hmm, great. All right. We'll have links in the show notes to all those places so people can click straight through. Now, do you have some parting advice for our listener as we wrap this up? You know, the, the, I thought about this. Um, and the thing that really struck me as much as anything, Jurgen, is that this journey of telling the world what it is you stand for, of really going all in on the notion of your core beliefs being a huge part of your world, uh, it's hard. It can really be debilitating. It can feel really different than the ways we've been socialized to talk and be and do. An example is if you meet someone new at a dinner party or you join your family and friends for a holiday and you meet someone that maybe you haven't seen in a long time, they'll say things like, so what is it again that you do? What is it that you do? That's how we've all been socialized. And when you lead with your core beliefs, in my case, when I say things like I believe in and exist to help elevate people, I'm not saying what I do. I'm saying what I stand for, why I exist. And it's a different answer to a very typical question, which means that's hard to do. We all want to feel safe. We all want to belong. And so the minute we start going outside the safety and belonging of the norm, it can feel pretty uncomfortable. And so my words of advice are to keep going, get through the difficult, discouraging, uncomfortable moments, and you will get really comfortable eventually telling the world what it is you stand for. As you could probably tell, I have now at this stage of my career, zero hesitation, none telling people that we elevate individuals and we do it by making waves that just rolls right off my tongue mm. but it wasn't always that way it was hard for me too but if you can keep on keeping on it does get easier yeah and and certainly i mean in some ways it might have been easier for you because of the the core value of standing out and making waves and and by being different to the people that get up and say well i'm an accountant i do you know i do um, tax returns, or I'm a I'm a business advisor. I help people grow their business, or whatever the statement might be. And because of your core belief, I want to be different. I want to stand out. You're already programmed in some ways to say, oh, "I'm going to do this different." But even would, even actually, no, frankly, no, um, no. Honestly, I I have a story in my book. In fact, when I did my book release, my launch, this was the portion of my book that I read. It was that important. It was a story about I was at a small networking event in Chicago, which was my hometown and the area where I lived most of my adult life before we moved here to Phoenix. And it was definitely one of those kind of things where I was in front of a small group of people, maybe 50 people, but I led with my core beliefs and I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to have a heart attack right on the spot. It is super, super hard to do this because you know you're being judged. You know you're putting yourself out there in a unique way. You know people are looking at you in a way that's, what did you say? And that is really hard to do. It's tough to manifest the courage to do that. But it 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 does get easier, and I think yeah. rapidly, when you start doing it and you realize that no one is going to mm. destroy you or harm you. It's like, oh, well, that was no big deal. 
and so yeah. it becomes an easy thing. That's right, it is, and and you know it's got to be something you strongly believe in as well. I mean, I was I was at a networking event of our local community, and it's a very small community here um, this week, and it was probably the first in-person networking event I've been to in almost a year because of the the whole pandemic thing. And and I was struck by oh this is one of those you know they they've got the old style networking event you have some drinks and nibbles everybody congregates in their little cliques, and then at some point there's a speaker who presents something, and then they let everybody go around because there were probably about thirty people forty people in the room, um, and maybe twenty five thirty businesses represented they let everybody say okay what do you do you know you've got 45 seconds to tell us what you do you know and I thought well I'm gonna die. I'm just gonna do it straight because none of those people are ever going to be customers of mine so I kind of felt as though it doesn't matter what they think of me and um, I just said well you know we believe in making marketing human again and by the way we have a, a podcast if you'd like to listen to the podcast there's lots of great guests that we bring on and lots of um, things you can learn from that. So I pointed them to the podcast and that was it. You know? And then I had a bunch of people come up afterwards and say, well, what do you actually do? <laughs> That's it. You just nailed it. And it's yeah. really, really, really how it's so opposite of how we've been uh, made to believe it should be done. And, mm. and it takes a lot of guts to stand and deliver the way you did. So kudos to you, Jurgen. Job well done, sir. But you saw the fruits of your work. Yeah, exactly. Like, That's right. You had said, I have a marketing agency. Mm. Unless someone was specifically looking for a marketing agency, they never would have engaged with you. But by being forward with your beliefs first, it mm. changes the entire equation. So really, really well done. Uh, and again, not easy. Not easy. Yeah. All right. Well, finally then, Brian, who else should I get on this podcast and why? I think this is an easy one for me. So I want you to consider talking to a, a very close pal of mine and my true doppelganger. The amount of similarity of our physical appearance is so crazy real. It is a gentleman named Mike Maddock, who is an absolute stud. He writes uh, about innovation. He owns an innovation firm. He's had four really successful books. Uh, one of the most sought after speakers around. A, a, ridiculously solid human being, crazy smart, wildly successful, but Mike Maddock, the king of innovation. He's your next guy. Great. All right. Well, we'll get an intro to Mike from you and we'll reach out to him and schedule him on the show as well. Look forward to that. Absolutely. You hmm. got it. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights today, Brian. This has been fun. I've really enjoyed it and uh, learned a lot. I've loved digging into the book. I really enjoyed the book. So I do encourage the listener to Get a copy of the book, whether it's physical or um, is there an audio book? There is not. There is a Kindle version, but no audio. All right. So whether it's the ebook or a physical book, but it's certainly well worth reading through, digging into the stories, understanding the principles, and and taking action as a result. So I encourage you to do that. Um, as I say, I've really enjoyed digging into it learning a lot about it and uh, learning about you and your story. So thanks again for sharing all that, Brian, and I wish you all the best for the future. And let's stay in touch. Uh, absolutely, Jurgen. You are truly a gentleman. It's been my pleasure. You are uh, absolutely a world-class at what you do, and it is much, much, much appreciated to spend some time with you. So thank you so very much. Well, thank you.
I hope you enjoyed that engaging and highly informative conversation with Brian and took something away from his episode. Clearly, Brian and I share our core beliefs around elevating people, connecting with dream clients, and being really clear and consistent with your core beliefs in behavior and message. I'd love to know what you took away from Brian's episode. Tell me in the comment below the blog post, which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Brian Burkhart. That is B-R-I-A-N B-U-R-K-H-A-R-T, all lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Brian Burkhart. You'll also find contact information for getting in touch with Brian there, as well as links to the Square Planet website, to the Square Stories podcast, to Brian's book Stand for Something, his social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. If you like this episode, please share it with at least two other people. Don't keep it for yourself. Share it with two other people who it might help. Share it with more. Tag me in on those shares and I'll personally thank you with a little special surprise gift. Brian suggested that we have a conversation with business reinvention and growth expert and author Mike Maddock on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Mike, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the Innova Buzz podcast, courtesy of Brian Burkhart. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up, including author and leadership consultant Bruce Craven and business operations architect Sidel Stewart. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.